0: In your seats. I want to just tell you an encouraging way that I experienced the Lord working in the last few minutes. Um, as I do every Sunday, I, I come in early in the morning and I pray for us as a church family. I pray for our worship and for the things that the Lord would like to do amongst us as we worship. And this morning, I found myself praying, I believe, led by the Holy Spirit. Lord, use us to take your name to the nations. So we have prayed for years for the west side, and the Lord is using us as a family on the west side. But this morning, the prayer on my heart was, Lord, the nations, the harvest is ripe. Use us to take your name to the nations. And then to hear that the Lord would just put that scripture on Nick's heart, and he would read it. And he would affirm and speak just those very same words. The Lord does that kind of thing all the time. He, he. When you're listening to him, being led by him, the same spirit puts the s- same words or prayers in different people's mouths. And that's how you know God's leading you. And this is something that he wants to do. And then that just encourages you to keep praying. Keep praying. Yes, I want to use you. Yes, I want to raise up and send people out from you okay, Lord, and then you just keep praying, right, to the nation. So I'm encouraged. I hope you are too. We're in the book of Acts, and we're carrying on in our series, Life in the Kingdom of God. So would you turn with me to Acts chapter 6, I believe it is, page 1699. going to remind us where we left off by reading the last two verses before this text. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God. Uh, I want to say a, a, a quick word before I jump into the sermon. And that is that the sermon's going to be about leadership that embodies the kingdom of God. You know what I mean when I say the word embody? To, to embody is to hold within yourself something. So, for example, uh, we would say that Lindsay embodies worship in herself. I mean, we can all look at her and go, this woman loves to worship. So when we talk about leadership, we don't want to put somebody in a leadership position that doesn't embody the thing that they're being asked to lead, right? We wouldn't put somebody who has no joy or gifts or uh, desire to worship God in in a place of worship leadership. Leadership needs to embody that which it's leading. And so we're going to talk this morning about leadership that embodies the kingdom of God because that's what's being proclaimed and advanced. And why am I saying that up front? Because I think you all could hear me say that and about anywhere from 70 to 80% of you could self-select out and say, well, I'm not a leader. Or 60%, whatever the number is. Well, that's so-and-so, but I'm not a leader. And um, I want to say from the get-go... That this sermon is for everybody, that everybody leads. What do I mean? Well, we have positions that we lead in, maybe in the church, maybe in home, but not just positions are the places where we lead. Our own lives are given to us to lead. The Bible talks about leading a life of, and then you fill in the blank, right? So, real quick, in the fall, when we fell into sin, we gave up leadership. We thought we were going to become independent, but actually we surrendered that the reins when, when we rebelled and, and we became slaves. When Jesus restores us, one of the first things he restores is the authority that's ours in him to lead our own lives. So Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And he commissions his apostles and disciples to go out Where's the first place there to express that authority or that dominion? It, it's in himself, In their own life. By choosing, they can now choose righteousness. Every one of us, before we came into the kingdom of God, we couldn't stop sinning. We might have wanted to stop. We might have recognized we had a problem that was consuming us. But we couldn't stop. But when we come into Christ and we get a new spirit, a new heart within us, all of a sudden, we by His Spirit, are able to lead our own lives. So, a lot of people don't recognize this, and then they become passive, which means that life just happens to them. But life doesn't happen to us. We get to choose how we respond. Okay? So, we lead our life. We can't choose what comes. Change comes, conflict comes, transition comes. We're going to talk about that. But we choose. We make leadership decisions every day and every month, that profoundly impact our own present and future. So whatever we look at these apostles and learn about leadership is something that we can apply on a day-by-day basis. There's some principles in here that we can apply. So I'm talking to Peter about this this week. And uh, I, I'm talking to him about my sermon. And I said, Have you?" He, he loves reading history. And I said, you got any illustrations about leadership and transition that could help me here? He said, yeah, Dad. World War I. In um, the Western Front in Europe, there's a, there's, there's a long, long extended uh, line where the Allies and the Axis, so the, the French and the British primarily, are lined up against the Germans and trenches have been dug. Remember reading about this in history class? Long, long miles and miles and miles of trenches And they're just entrenched on one side, entrenched on the other side, and they're they're not really making any progress one way or the other. They cannot break through each other's lines. And a British general, commander, I don't know the words, Brendan, I'm sorry. A British high-ranking officer devised this plan where he said, here's what we're going to do to break through the German lines. We are going to shell... This section of the line non stop for an entire week. So we are gonna, we are just gonna take massive amounts, of, we're gonna concentrate all of our resources right here, and we're gonna shell them non stop for a week. So that, that we're gonna completely obliterate this section of trenches, and then when the week's over, we are gonna be able to push through. No problem. Well, he was warned. His advisor said to him, I don't think it's gonna work because you know what? We're not at the simple trenches that we had when we started two years ago. These are actually trenches that are quite um, involved in that there's there are bunkers in the trenches. They're dug under. They are, they're going to be able to withstand this. It, it's changed. Trench warfare has changed even over two years. Well, he said, no, this is going to work. And so he blazed ahead and they deployed this plan with... Dozens of thousands of men, and they shelled for a week straight, morning, noon, overnight, did not stop, shelling constantly, 24 hours, and then they hit the point where the shelling stopped, and all the men were commanded to go, and they were told there will not be a German alive within this section, and so instead of zigzagging back and forth across no man's land and the barbed wire, you were to march in lines, and so they got up out of their trenches after a week of shelling, and they marched out into no man's land, and they got mowed down by the thousands. Slaughtered. The British were completely slaughtered. Because an officer made a decision in conflict that did not uh, embody wisdom, did not listen to others, and refused to make an adjustment when adjustments needed to be made. Making sense? So here's the point. Here's the point. Leadership and how it is enacted or lived out has profound consequences. The decisions that leaders make have consequences on everybody who's following them. And so also in the kingdom of God, we want leaders, we need leaders who will embody God's character and God's heart and God's purposes. And so here we are in Acts and we've been hearing about for months now there is just sweet unity and prayerfulness and the church is growing and it's exploding and all of a sudden we've got conflict. The word in here that says complaining is the same word that's used in the Old Testament in Exodus and in Numbers when it says the people grumbled. Grumbled. Against Moses. This is no. Hey. I'm just. I, I just have a little complaint to file. This is. There's bitterness. There's rumbling. There's anger. There's division. And so all of a sudden. We are facing for the first time. The question. Is this group of people. Going to be able to hold together. Is this. Unity. Going to be preserved. Can Jesus. And his. His. Spirit, really, really, really keep together a diverse group of people in conflict. Now, we know what Jesus' desire is. We know what Jesus' intent. He says in John 17, he prays his last words before death. Father, I pray that they, all my followers, I pray that they would be one even as you and I are one. That they would be one that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them, even as you love me. May they be one. And so is God's heart, is God's prayer going to get lived out now in God's people when there's conflict? Well, that depends on the leadership. And so here's what we see in the leaders. That's beautiful. And I want to name five things Four of them are going to be real quick. And then we'll press into the fifth one. The first one is that they take immediate action. Something pops up, there's a problem, there's an issue. And they deal with it, so they don't evade it. Think about our own personal lives. I mean, um, we can talk about it church, but our own personal lives, how often don't things happen Oh, I just don't want to go have that conversation. Oh, I just I just don't want to answer that email. Oh, I just don't want to talk to that person. Oh, I just don't want to. Yeah, conflict's not fun. But leaders that embody the heart of the character of God who is for unity go right away. Right away, they deal with it. So they don't evade it. Number two, there's acceptance of responsibility for a problem. They don't deflect. They don't push it away. They don't uh, begrudge the problem. They simply absorb it, which means they're accepting responsibility for the problem. They're in leadership over this community. People are coming to them and saying, hey, so-and-so is getting more than so-and-so. Okay. They, they merely accept there's an issue and they call the people together. Well, that's acceptance, right? If um, you come with an issue to me or to the elders and we don't do anything about it you feel like we've heard or we've accepted no you don't calling them together demonstrates acceptance of responsibility and then second a listening ear so that might seem really small to you but i think it's big it that that they listen and respond validates your issue is real and it matters so again we want leaders that are going to validate When people have concerns. Now again, think about when people come to you. This happens all the time. People complain to you in the workplace. They complain in the home. See, we have choices. Am I going to listen to you? Am I going to validate that this is real, right? So they deal with it right away. They accept responsibility for it. They listen. They offer validation and care. And then here's a beautiful thing. They don't just deal with it on their own. They actually involve the um, you might call them the aggrieved group or the, comp- the the ones who are complaining. All of the seven names of the people that were put forth were Hellenistic. Hellenistic means Greek. So we had some Greek-speaking Jews and we had some Hebrew-speaking Jews. So we got different cultures coming together here, right? And so they they don't just say, "Okay, well, uh, yeah, we'll we'll fix it, we'll respond." They say, "Actually, why don't, why don't you choose some men?" Choose some people, and they give some characteristics. We'll talk about this in a minute, but put them forward. And so who gets called forward? Seven of the group, all, all Greek-speaking, okay? So they're involving them in responding to it. There's another principle. People come to us. We have conflict or there's transition, whatever it is. Uh, will we involve the people that are coming? Will we give them a voice? Will we give them responsibility in helping to share in whatever it is? Okay. Last one. This is the most important and where I'm going to, we're going to spend our time this morning. They hold on to a personal sense of calling while being willing to delegate ministry to others. So they say to the group, it would not be right for us to wait on tables. Now, you can read that and you can, it can sound to you like they're demeaning or they're speaking down. Like it's not right for us to wait on tables. But that's actually not at all what they're saying. They're not making it as though there are various sort of levels of importance in um, serving the Lord. What they're doing is they're saying, we've been called and commissioned to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus said. You'll be my witnesses. You saw me in my resurrected body. You knew me before I died. You see me now. You will be my witnesses. You will preach the full message of this new life in the temple courts. That's your calling. And so the apostles of the disciples have a clear sense of what their calling is, and they are not going to be veered off to the left or to the right. We've got to stick with our calling. So that doesn't denigrate this calling, that just says I've got a calling and I know what it is and I'm not getting off it. Do you know what your calling is? Do you know how Jesus has gifted you and commissioned you or is wanting to work through you in the church, in your, in your job, in your life? What is your calling? We're aimless, and we wander without purpose if we don't know what our calling is. They know we are called. This is our call. We don't get out of calling because we retire. We don't get out of calling because we're too young. Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in life, in love, in faith, in speech, in purity, in holiness. We've all got calling, no matter how young or old we are. And so can you... Say to somebody else today, this is my best sense of how the Lord's wanting to work through me in my life right now. You don't have to be perfectly clear. There's a process of growing up in an understanding of your gifts and discerning them. And we do that in community and there's room for growth. I've got a much clearer sense now than I did 10 years ago. Okay? So there's there's no pressure. But at the same time, there is definitely an importance to knowing how is the Lord wanting to work in and through me? Am I paying attention? Am I available to his calling? So they delegate. And I want to show to you what this looks like practically in our midst. And I'm just going to use uh, myself and Pastor Gina as an example. In December, we commissioned and launched four care elders here. Now, we didn't do that because that's the thing that churches do, and so we got to do it. We did that because there was too much care for us to handle alone. There was more than we could do and because both of us have a really strong sense of call to teach and equip and lead. The Lord's using us to do that here. He's using us to do that in our classes, our group of churches and he's using us to do that at the seminary and across the denomination. It's kind of an unusual situation but that's what the Lord's doing. And so we gave ministry up. We gave it to four others and said, you care. And I want to show you some of the beautiful fruit of that. Betty already actually started praying. So last week, Betty um, had a frozen shoulder. She couldn't move it. And Caroline, who we just launched into care elder ministry and has just wonderfully uh, made it her own. And I think, if I asked for a show of hands of who's received some care and some prayer from Caroline, probably over half, yeah, the people here would say me. Well, Caroline saw Betty struggling with her shoulder. So she went over to Betty and she said, is your shoulder sore?" Yeah. Can I pray for it? Yes. And so they started to pray and there was started to be a little bit more movement, but not full. And then they, they prayed again a second time together. And by the time that they, they were done praying, Betty was able to move her shoulder much, much, much more unfrozen and still getting better. And then after the service, Betty's over here and Caroline's over here and Betty goes, Whoa, look at this, look at this. Couldn't lift it frozen, you know? So what's that? That's the fruit of releasing somebody else and saying, you've got gifts and calling and we recognize that. And, um, We commission you into it, and then that person beginning to live into it. Now look, we're all called to to pray for people, but I'm using this as a particular example of the fruit of giving up ministry, okay? So if we want to be faithful to our calling, it means that we've got to be able to give up or delegate ministry, and I want to say that this actually is the example that God sets. It sounds really strange to say that. But God, who doesn't need to use us, gives us ministry. Like he delegates to us. He invites us to share in what he's doing in the world, right? We, we get to be his mouth, his hands, his heart. And he gives it up to us. And so embodying the character in the heart of God means that we're willing to give it up to others, that we pass it on. So, who do we pass it on to? Well, the apostles give us, in in this circumstance, they give us some just really general but good guidelines. We're going to see that as the church begins to grow and spread out across Asia, that Paul's going to give some more specific lists of what we ought to look for in people that we put in positions of leadership. But right here, he says, look for people of good repute, good reputation that are full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. Let's say a little bit about each of those. Good reputation. Trustworthy. You're asking somebody to hand out, take the money and hand out um, food. You don't want to take someone who's got a reputation for, uh, dishonest scales at their shop. Right? I mean, it seems kind of, it seems kind of straightforward, but, uh, we're being reminded that when we put people in positions of leadership, we need to be able to look at them and say, this is a person that nobody would complain about because they've got a good reputation. And it's not that we seek reputation, but it's that it matters. It matters what whether we have, we've earned people's trust over time. And so then the apostles say, you want people that are full of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's so interesting that they say, and wisdom. Because wisdom is a fruit that the spirit produces in us, but it's not the same thing. Okay. Wisdom is something that develops over time as we learn and grow both from our mistakes and failures, from the examples of those around us, and from the word of God. You can be old and very foolish. You can grow up in age, but not in wisdom. We have way too many examples in the world of that. Right? So, wisdom's something that doesn't develop automatically. It's not a guarantee that you're old and wise. And so, the apostles say look for someone that is full of the Holy Spirit and wise. So,. Here's an example of somebody, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use another example, uh, of one and not the other. I asked Nick if I could do this ahead of time because I thought about him. I thought Nick's somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit. Loves to worship, loves the Lord, full of joy. And so the fruit of love and of joy and of peace, we see those in Nick. Right? But Nick might have a little bit of wisdom, but he doesn't have a lot. He's really young. So there's nothing wrong with saying that. Right? Nick has some wisdom that comes from the Word of God. It's not, he's not bankrupt. But you don't want to take somebody in his position and say, now well, I'm going to put you in charge of all of this. You've got to, you've got to be in charge of distribution to, what are we at, about seven, nine, ten thousand people? Well, how do I do that? I mean, I've got no experience, no, no one's ever helped me think through. You know, it takes having done certain things and having a, a, a level of experience in order to do something. So, like when Lindsay takes somebody on the worship team, she doesn't take somebody who's never led worship and say, okay, you're in charge. She works them in gradually. They grow up into the position, right? So it's the same thing here. Nick could maybe serve as a part of the team. That's what we do in ministry. You take people onto the part of the team, and you begin learning, and then you grow up, right? But you don't want to take someone in his position and throw them into, into just being in charge of it all. It takes wisdom. So here's a mistake that I see that we often make in the church. We look for wisdom, but not full of the Spirit. We take people who have demonstrated competency in the world and bless God that they have it. But if you take competency, if you take I have a mind for doing certain types of things, without the fruit of a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, That is producing love and joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness and self control. You set yourselves up wherever you are for pain and for failure. We see this all the time. We call it the scandal of leadership that's not sanctified. All the time. We see people blow up in ministry. It makes the news. Well, what happened? Maybe they had a giftedness, but their character wasn't developed. So we're being told if you're going to put somebody in leadership, they need to have a good reputation. They need to have a developed character that reflects the character of God and then partnered with that some competency or some wisdom that matches what we're being asked to put them into. Okay. So now we're ready to release ministry to people with some, some, some qualifications, say the apostles. Um that might mean some more challenges. The text doesn't say this, but I just found myself wondering, you know, weren't there a few people that just really loved the apostles and had relationship built with them? And it was just, you know, it was really great that, hey, Peter, every day or every week, I got to see you and we got to touch base and you were the one who was serving me the food. And I just felt really great about our relationship. And hey, who's this guy, um, harmonious like that you're sending over now who's who's team like I hey I just really like things the way that they were I, I liked it when you were caring for me I liked it when you were doing that hmm well here's the question by the way, it's perfectly fine for them to like it when Peter's doing that and to be sad that he's not doing it. It's perfectly fine for someone to like it that I would give pastoral care and to be sad that some of that's being released to other people. That's fine. That's, it's, we got to honestly acknowledge our, our feelings about things like that. But at the end of the day, are our eyes on people who are doing things or are they on the Lord Jesus Christ who's doing them through them, right? We can make an idol out of people. We can make an idol out of relationships and um, we've got to be careful because our hearts are for the King and his kingdom. And if we want to see the kingdom of God come, then we don't want to bottleneck ministry, meaning, We need to be able to constantly release it whenever there's more. See, they're experiencing this transition and this need because they're growing. It's a problem because of growth. So the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is growing on earth. And that means ministry has to be released and shared and handed off. And so that's happening to us. And it's going to happen to us. And so our prayer is that our response will be well, I can acknowledge if I'm a little bit sad about this and then I can bless that this ministry is getting handed off here and this ministry is getting handed off here and that ultimately each of us is being faithful to what Jesus Christ is calling us to do because he is calling on each of us. So the apostles don't hold on to ministry even when it might have been tempting for multiple reasons, not just the relationship. Maybe they liked the control. I'm not saying they're control freaks, but you know what? Sometimes it's hard to release something if somebody's not going to do it as good as you, right? You all know that? Okay. So they're trusting. They're releasing ministry. And so we see them release. And maybe they don't even know these men that they're releasing it to. We don't know. So they release the ministry to them and they hand them a written job description and say, good luck. No, they don't do that. Uh, maybe Maybe a written job description would come along with it a little bit later. Job descriptions are good. It's good to know what you're being called to do. But they don't just get handed a role and said, hey, okay, here you go. They get prayed for and they get hands laid on him. Now, why would Luke see that as so important that he would include it in the word of God? Because it doesn't matter how wise you are and it doesn't matter how developed your character is. You don't do ministry. You don't represent the Lord in your own strength. And so if you are receiving calling and commission from him to serve him in a certain way, it's going to be in the strength and the power of his spirit. He is going to be the one that empowers you. And so the disciples, the apostles picture this. They say they pray for them. Why? To receive the empowering of the Lord. Lord, would you strengthen? Would you give wisdom? Would you bless? Would you equip? Would you? It's you, Lord. It's you. And why do they lay their hands on? Because there's delegation of real authority. Jesus says, all authority. This is not a pretty saying. You know this? All authority on heaven and on earth. It belongs to me. It's mine, says Jesus. And I share it with you. In other words, when he says, go out, proclaim the kingdom of God, the good news that he's king who saves and heals and delivers. He authorizes us as the one who has all authority to act as his representative. Go advance my name, my kingdom, my glory. Here is authority. If something gets in your way, you know how to pray. If something is evil, you know how to drive it out. If something is broken, you can pray for healing. There's real authority that Jesus, who is Lord of the church, entrusts to leaders in the church, and then they're entrusted with wisdom of God to extend it. You get this? So this is not a, it's not a, we do this to, like, I'm your friend, and so, and I just, we're, we're, like, I'm feeling, I just want to be chummy-chummy with you as we pray. This is, I am giving you authority to do something, okay? So Jesus calls, Jesus equips, and what happens when they release other people into ministry, here's the fruit. It says, what does the text say? Is, it says, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So again, Luke wants us to see that as people are called and commissioned And sent out, there's increased fruitfulness. And so it'll be the same for us. As we identify needs and opportunities, as we identify calling and gifting, and as we commission people into God assigned roles, there will be deep fruitfulness. There will be deep, deep fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. Let's pray.